Hello and welcome. It's a real privilege to be here with two remarkable advocates for good quality lighting in the built environment. First, we have Ian Johnson, who is the founder and CEO of Elect International Design Group, and he oversees the architecture, interior design and yacht design for a whole range of extraordinary projects and it's an award-winning team that he's building up and he's going to tell us a little bit about one of the projects he's working on at the moment which involves the first residential dwelling in the UK to get well standards we're also going to share a couple of other projects too and alongside us is also Rebecca Weir who is an award-winning lighting designer and the and the creative director of Light IQ which is a brilliant um, lighting um, consultancy here in the UK. So first I'd like to ask you Ian about your work on the Lancelot House project. Tell me more about what the brief was. It was a kind of self-initiated studio exercise because we thought that we were delivering an amazing house anyway so Olsen Kundig uh, US practice had delivered the the exterior architecture and we in Rigby Rigby have five different divisions so development management architectural practice a interior design and we actually have unusually a construction and delivery vehicle so we're building the project and what we found was and we were so close to reaching an outstanding criteria that accreditation was something that we felt passionate enough about as well as sustainability i think in our sector of the marketplace which is dealing with ultra high net worth individuals sustainability is extremely complicated for a variety of reasons because of the uniqueness and the, and the rarity of material and we were so close to achieving an outstanding result that we have pursued that so the wellness accreditation covers air water nourishment movement thermal comfort, sound, material, mine, community and lighting. The, the brief actually from a lighting perspective was to have a holistic position where there was no light spots in the property, no dark spots in the property. We had accent lighting and then very specifically we're finding that our clients are moving through to task-based lighting because they're spending more time at home. Really important areas within the house were the kitchen for private chefs, for colour rendering and to get the proposition right for presentation purposes, and lighting within dressing area spaces for makeup preparation and dressing. And then we had some amazing opportunities where we have some collectibles going into the property, one being a, a vehicle and artwork. So we have a kind of gallery configuration as a display area. And then task lighting within the home office environment. So very broad brief, but, but what it enabled us to do was to design very specifically for different areas. That then produces a whole series of challenges. And that's why through partnership with specialist lighting designers and, and Rebecca's key to that project, we've been able to realise the result that we, we have. That's, that's brilliant. And is the project completed? So the project completes in summer 2022. We're, we're very far advanced. Actually, we're extremely well uh, positioned from a design point of view. The team have been working on the project for four years, so it's been a very long journey. 
Uh, it's extremely complex in central London, but we're now at the stage where we're testing lighting configuration. We're doing one-to-one mock-ups within certain areas so we can understand the impact of the specification and what their further opportunity might be. So it's a continually evolving process which gets audited and edited until we're collectively extremely happy with the, with the end result. Wow, that sounds like amazing attention to detail and, and, and care and I suppose placing the client right at the heart of the brief, which is, I guess, where all brilliant design comes. How is that for you, Rebecca, working on something like that? I think we're incredibly fortunate to have a client who does and who cares from both the client perspective, but also from the the collaboration with experts in inverted commas, because you have to have confidence in them to know that they're going to deliver, that your knowledge is up to date and that you're able to bring to these mock-ups, for example, the very best example for that specific solution that you're looking to achieve. So over the last 15 years working with Ian, I think we've always had quite a lot of fun when we've got our hands dirty and we're doing our mock-ups, we're playing with lights. And it's only then that you can really see and really understand what it is that's trying to be achieved. And actually the difference of two centimeters one way or another is the difference between something looking absolutely exceptional and perfect or whether you bother to deliver it at all. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's when you've got a team that really understands that from the outset, that's where it all really starts to make a major difference and where you start to deliver something that you're so incredibly proud of. I can really see that. So how does the client respond to that? Do they understand why you take such care? What are the limitations there? In, in our market sector, we're really fortunate because they've been exposed to enrichment from a lighting design perspective. So our clients generally travel to extremely sophisticated restaurants or great hotels, might have yachts, might have other houses worldwide. I think broadly beyond that, it's an unpublicized profession. And, and that's a bit of a shame, really, because it, it does bring a lot of intrinsic value to our schemes. And from my perspective as a development manager, we have to rely on very sophisticated specialist teams that bring a whole wealth of knowledge to come and collaborate on a project because it's way too broad as an industry. You know, a lot of people can deliver good and not many people can deliver outstanding or excellent. And the only way that we're able to do that is by working in close collaboration with other specialist teams because it's a huge, huge component of the success of a project. From my own belief, it's really intrinsic to the beauty of a, a final piece of architecture. We have the, the decorative dimension of light, and then there's the more health and well-being aspect of light to do with brightness and colour spectrum and those sorts of things. Would you say that's new? Because, yes, we can add spotlights to artworks, but it sounds like you've also been working at a much deeper level with the way that light's create a well-being in the space is that new or uh, Rebecca is probably best to answer for me it's not new but I think it is not very well broadcast it's also something that we've been talking about for a long time across many projects I mean Ian and I have been working together for for 15 years or so now and as the technology has changed and adapted and morphed and um, we've had more opportunity to start to think about 
you know, increased color rendering, color tunable lighting, things like that, then that's opened up the conversation the whole way through. And I think when you're pushing for excellence, when you're looking to deliver something very unique, then you always have to be on top of your game. If I wasn't bringing that to my client, if I wasn't bringing that level of conversation to Ian to have those discussions, then he may as well use anyone. So I always hope that you're know, having that intrinsic client relationship is that they trust that you will be bringing that extra and all of that becomes part of the package, the wellness, as well as the, the aesthetic. I think that it's, it's fair to say that it's not new, but the industry is evolving extremely quickly. And unless you have somebody that lives and breathes and operates in that space full time, you're definitely missing out on, on an opportunity. So if I look at color, brightness, angle, slope, shadow, geometry, scale, form, and, and being able to accent some of the architectural proposition. And one of the things that we've begun to do with Rebecca, which I think is really important, is everybody perceives lighting design to be a contract delivery proposition, whereas actually if you engage early enough, you have the kind of passive lighting, natural lighting knowledge that actually comes through very, very early on in concept stage work, which will inform the architecture prior to planning. And then you can kind of build on that and deliver it through technology, which is, as we know, rapidly, rapidly changing. And also it doesn't necessarily now have to be, be only for new build proposition because products available for home renovation, wireless and networking products, which also allow color change, dimmable solutions can be provided as a retrofitted uh, opportunity. So I think without that, that specialist knowledge of the marketplace as designers, we probably are missing out on, on some exposure to what's available. I think also what's interesting is a client has to be quite brave to be at the forefront of this technology, because at some point somebody has to jump on the bandwagon and, you know, are you the first and you go through some of those learning curves or do you wait and see how well it's been established and things like that? Because I mean, I found even from the lighting industry where I've tried to push certain ideas, you still have people in the industry who aren't necessarily on board with your ideas or entirely embracing some of the new technology and the psychological concepts behind dim to warm lighting, things like that. And I can remember speaking to a few people not so long ago, they're still saying, oh, it's a gimmick. I'm like, I don't understand. I don't understand how it can be a gimmick. It's offering these incredible opportunities to us to be able to so easily change a space and change the feel of that space. So actually, sometimes from a lighting design point of view, you almost feel like you're having to, you're listening to your peers and what they have to say, but even whilst you're still trying to sell it to the client. Do you know what I mean? Because actually you believe so passionately about what you're doing, but there, there is always that slight question when you're pushing new technology. But I think from the outset, we've always done and tried new techniques or used products in new and innovative way. And I think one thing I've learned from being in the business is actually never to look left or right and not to worry too much about that because you, I think you've just got to find your own path and believe in what you're doing. I mean, I think that's the nice thing about the lighting industry with all these new products and everything else coming to the fore at the moment is that you have that opportunity. There's always something new to play, a new beam with, a new dim to warm, something to try and test and get excited about. But Ian's always been very brave and always had a very open mind on it, I have to say. So we're very lucky from that point of view. We, we try to um, talk to our team about being problem solvers and just being open to the possibilities. 
And really that's, again, where that kind of specialist knowledge comes in to show and prove. I'm a huge fan of one-to-one mockups. I think it's amazing what you can do in the sophistication of render engines now and, and CGI, but there's really no replacement to seeing a, a large format a scale mock-up and then you can really understand that during the day and night delivery, which we're just running through on a couple of our projects at the moment. But um, it's really easy to make an informed decision then. And the difference you can make with that detail of just an adjustment by a couple of centimetres. So you mentioned, Ian, that you feel as if at the moment there's some missed opportunities in, in the sector to actually improve the quality of lighting in these different spaces. What would you say the opportunity is? Is it to do with improving the the yield on the properties or what would you say the opportunity is? I think it it covers like a series of reasons so I think with a specialist uh, team around you you can enrich ease of usability by control there's obviously aesthetic considerations I think operational is, is generally an afterthought whereas if you actually need to change a bulb or how easily accessible is it How often do I have to do this? I think that's a really important part, particularly because we see two sides of projects where we're actually designing and also delivering and having to maintain our properties. And then the kind of like procurement chain, how easy are products to customize? You know, how easy is it to get a replacement component? Where do you actually install all the drivers? So I think it's just such a broad subject matter. That I think that with somebody engaged early on enough, the knowledge base would be really critical to the success of a project. And then the question that often comes back to me is, so that sounds expensive. Yeah. Obviously, but it sounds as though it's to do with value. and You're very clear that it adds huge value to the relationship and to the projects. I just wondered if you would be willing to share roughly your approach to costing these kinds of additional interventions? I mean, I'm a really firm believer that good design doesn't have to cost additional money. You just need the knowledge there from day one. If you build a familiar team where there's there's, there's lots of uh, compatibility and also knowledge base that you build together, I think it doesn't have to be expensive. It may sound expensive because it's, it's lots of exotic items that are going on and there's lots of aspects to it which may be unknown. But it doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, on our project, we would expect to see a line item now against specialist lighting. So not to cover feature lighting, but maybe two to two and a half percent of project cost on top of a basic scheme to enrich the lighting through the design and the product. So that gives you a a flavour of how much that we invest across our projects on on lighting. So that doesn't sound like a big additional cost to have the quality of experience and the longevity of experience that that you're offering there? I think the cost is nothing compared to getting it wrong. And I think that's, that's the alternative fundamentally is to have something that's either very average or you take that sort of brave next step and that very small investment. Because actually the line item for lighting compared to other costs is is very small indeed, I think, as a percentage. And I mean, to go to the other extreme, if we are doing other lifestyle projects, for example, such as a hotel, you know, the the cost for the lighting can go 20 to 25% of the built cost. If you include 
all the different elements. Now, obviously, that's going to be very specific because it's going to be a restaurant or a hotel and it's going to be very dedicated to that sort of ambiance and it becomes a major feature of that. But even if you're looking at sort of average sort of super prime property, it's a very small sum of money. Mm-hmm. And I think in our, in our sector with Becky, you know, we specialise in in selecting some some very unique materials and if they're not represented in the right way all the investment in the material is lost yeah so you know i think it's really really important that if you know if we you know much beyond the the kind of gallery proposition of cars art whiskey you know if, if we're investing a lot of uh, cost and materiality for feature walls or or, or or very unique finishes for furniture if that if that's not represented well through the lighting then then you're missing another opportunity based on your your furniture budgets yeah Yeah. and you mentioned about presentation for example in kitchen areas for chefs and things so presumably you can quantify the additional cost per square meter or value per square meter of property that's beautifully lit is there do you have anything matrix about that so the, the the one that's very specific to us as a business, we know that when we have deployed lighting design, which is which is over 98% of our projects, so huge, huge amount of our projects have a have a specialist engineer or scientist alongside us to, to design out this um, lighting configuration. We've we've consistently broken records, uh, uh, record breaking price per square foot. And we think our brand and that intrinsic knowledge kind of delivers about another 10% for the return on price per square foot. So somewhere in there, there's, there's definitely a, a proportion of that which is, is related to, to lighting design, for sure. And the quality of thought and creativity that somebody like Rebecca brings to the party. So that's yeah, a compelling okay. argument for, for having her or her team on board early on. That's, that's fantastic. So would you say that there are reasons, if there was somebody else in your position who is commissioning buildings or commissioning design, what would, you, what would you say to them? Or what would you say are the main reasons why they don't do it? Because not everybody does it, do they? I think there's a, there's a huge expectation on architects and designers to to the perception certainly from a professional team that get, that manages those designers that they should be able to deliver lighting design. And I think the depth of the industry is such that they would only scratch the surface if unless they have a very very specifically well trained person within their practice. So I think the opportunity, I think the opportunity is through, through precedent, through experimenting and, and kind of testing this theory that you can get better results by engaging lighting design early on. I think that there's very few people that are doing it extremely well. Rebecca's definitely one of them. And from, from our own perspective, we, we find that actually it's a huge educational curve for, for all of our architecture and interior designers and they enjoy the process. So there's actually a kind of CPD aspect. And then through testing and delivery, I think there's also a research and development aspect. So you could actually, you know, utilize some of those R&D tax credits 
So, so actually the costs all the time are actually falling from a practice perspective, but actually the team are getting more experience, more exposure. You could probably offset some of the costs and then hopefully you'll get a, a you know, better outturn for your ultimate client. So there's, so there's nothing really to lose. No, except I suppose the perception that you could do it better or the occasional bad experience with somebody who actually isn't that good. It sounds as though finding a good lighting designer is like finding a good anything, actually. Yeah. We, we also find that because of the testing and commissioning, we, we, don't, we don't often have any revisits or reprogramming. And certainly something that we're trying to do now is we're trying to, we're trying to give ourselves a lot of lateral leeway so that if a client's brief changes, so for example, two, two clients that I know extremely well, one, one of which has, has just gone through his bachelor years and is moving into family life, had an extremely dark palette previously in his house. And we've been able to kind of deliver a softer, much lighter environment without changing many of the baseboard materials, which was a huge change um, in just within the lighting configuration. And then another client that, that you know, as he's, as he's aged slightly, he's realised that task lighting is much more important to him for reading and for operation. So we've been able to kind of design systems that give us the ability to deliver 20 or 15% more, more lighting in terms of brightness or coverage. And therefore we're, we're kind of future-proofing their, their property because we, we don't work project to project. We work hopefully with a client and, and that, that client will take us on a journey on multiple properties. We have a 68% retention rate of our clients. So a lot of it's through existing and, and being able to build that in from day one, I think it's been really important. Particularly, that's something that we've done very recently over the last 18 months, I think. That's really impressive, that retention rate, but also that sense that you can use lighting to support a whole life cycle of your client and, and their lives in a space instead of having to rip stuff out, which I guess has a sustainability future-proofing dimension as well, which is really, really fantastic. That's great. So if you were to say to... Sorry. Rebecca, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think Ian's doing an awesome job. Very <laughs> eloquent. <laughs> All good. <laughs> so, oh, good. Okay, fantastic. So, what I'd love to do then is just to talk briefly about the other projects you mentioned. So that's a very much a domestic setting. You mentioned that you've been working on an office. It'd be interesting to hear your view on, on that. Yeah, so we're, we're just delivering a private family office in Oslo and it's on the waterfront on Thieves Island, so new geotech layer. The, the, the family office has a series of different workspaces and, and that's again, has allowed us to design the lighting in, in a number of ways where we have principal task lighting, relaxation lighting, operational lighting, board configurations. And because it's, it's really, really important in Oslo. So in the winter, you're down to about four to five hours worth of natural light. And we looked at, we looked at lots of studies about productivity and kind of investing in staff and how 
you know, what would the retention look like if we changed the way that they were currently operating? The, the, so, so that was a really interesting project and we couldn't have delivered to the level that we've been able to without running a specific research module on, you know, fatigue, daylight views, airflow, and colour tunable aspects, and then and then also having these different atmospheres that then could could evolve during the course of the day. So, I think I think that one specifically for me was was the most in depth research module that we've run as a as a studio, and and we we did that for us to learn more about the opportunity, but also to try and kind of deliver more efficiency for the private family office. And just create more of a an environment where people wanted to stay longer and to kind of really enjoy and embrace revision to the office. So there was a there was a huge change in the operational configuration and the circulation, which we think um, also will, will will add a lot of value. But certainly, lighting design was was extremely important for that for that property. I think what's quite interesting about that as well is you can see immediately how intrinsic by asking so many questions, lighting falls and create shadows on so many of those elements. You know, as soon as we start to talk about one aspect in terms of delivering functionality, we're talking about lighting. If we're talking about creating ambience, we're talking about lighting. If we're talking about wayfinding, for example, we're talking about lighting. So, you know, lighting is so pivotal to the success of any architectural project that you know, without sort of bringing in an expert or without you know, doing that level of research, it, it can never deliver the same results. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's interesting all the little points that Ian just spoke about. You know, lighting was just sitting next to every single one of them in terms of achieving excellence and, and uniqueness. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant to hear also how much detail you go into when thinking ahead about, about when you're designing the project. Very often I hear horror stories of sort of plug and play offices where very, so little consideration is given to that. Has that been delivered yet, that project? So we were due to hand over at Christmas 2021. So a very live project just on site at the moment. Again, probably more towards the finishing stages of, of that office. So we uh, definitely be able to share some images with you. Fantastic. I was also intrigued where you mentioned about commissioning and fine tuning and post occupancy or post handover fine tuning. I'm assuming that thinking ahead about the lighting means that that snagging is, is a much less fraught process. So it's a much smoother process. Would you say that's true? Yes, certainly. And we don't, I actually think in all of the projects we've worked together on, Rebecca, we have not been back for a problem with commissioning. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't I think, think so. That's true. I think so, that's where you hold hands there along the way. You know, if you've, as long as you're monitoring a project and you, you get to go to site and you get to always consider and check all the details, then there shouldn't really be an awful lot of snagging at the end. There should just be the commissioning and the fine tuning. I think it's when you sort of miss some of those important steps and you go back and you suddenly go, oh, you know, the unexpected is before you. But no, I mean, luckily, smooth yeah. sailing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think we've been very fortunate. We haven't we haven't had any 
challenge in terms of maintenance or service. And I think I think that that the scene setting and the control setting I think is also really lovely exposure for our team. So typically that's done along with finished photography. So we have the we have the leaders, creative leads of those projects, you know, they're in attendance so that they get to understand and also vet the, the, the light setting so that then the, it's actually live through the photography. So it's actually quite a nice, um, quite a nice day for the team when that happens. I imagine, I imagine, I imagine. And so your client, it sounds like the office client in Oslo really understood the value that you were going to bring by investing in the lighting in that way for attention, for, for attention and, and all the rest of it. So, but was there a conversation? Was that a difficult thing to talk about? I think, um, you know, very, it's actually a very, very sophisticated family office, very amazing sustainable credentials and some of their investments are, you know, one of the, one of the things we actually spoke to them about was, was actually being able to publicize because it's publicize some of their investments because they're very ethical. And, you know, private family office generally very private about what their, their business case is. So we, we've encouraged them to be purveyors of digital art and, and the landscape in the city, which we, you know, one of the installations that we're looking at is because actually links to lighting quite well. There was a vista which terminated on a very, on their office, which is actually a very dark entrance at the moment. And we've we've backlit that with, with a Samsung frame television. It's three meters by six meters tall, so it's a huge installation. And we're going to document their investments and collaborate with a local artist to be able to to provide the installation for that quarter. And then that will then get archived and become their cover for their uh, financial investment report. So. So there's layers of sophistication, which I think we kind of try to unravel. And we have, with, with this knowledge and, and being able to be able to research these things and also have this inbound knowledge base from all of our, you know, very, very highly skilled consultants. It's generally an easy conversation. And, and people understand the value of what you're trying to do for them. I mean, it, it's, it's well known within the office world that if you get the lighting right, pro productivity goes up. And then, and then we really just had to drill down on what that meant for them, specifically within this environment. And it, yeah, it just, the whole process for me becomes more enriching. And for them, clearly. Yeah, yeah. totally bespoke solutions. They appreciate the level of uh, consistent investment of time. And review that we go through we're not the easiest of teams i would suggest to work with because we 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 continually uh, try to improve during the course of a process so we don't ever look to a fixed and frozen position because some of our projects can be you know four or five years in the making so we we're we're, we're con continually reviewing what the what the best fit the best opportunity is and try to implement that right up to the to the final position. It's much easier for us because we're reasonably unique in the UK with with being able to have our own construction and delivery business. But I think that kind of level of client care and client experience, you know, they they know that we're continually testing and we're we're 
all, all we're trying to do is make make the product better for them. Quite unusual, I think, in so many ways that you see a client invest in in the build in that way. You know, I think so many architectural teams that that conversation is so short or so limited. There's so so so, so much limited time put into it that it's just extraordinary to work with someone who actually truly values and offers that that level of depth because I think everybody learns from the process you know you know it's amazing the feedback you get from from that level of insight into a client and understanding their world so I think it's it's really exceptional we specifically noticed that they they really enter into a relationship with you yeah we've we've specifically noticed that in the residential marketplace we're actually able to to really expedite new product into the into the into the final properties in the marine sector slightly harder because because they tend to move teams from project to project and there's a there's a lot smaller captive audience of clients there's a lot smaller production run and and some of the technology tends to kind of tip over into the next project so when that happens and if you're dealing with a four-year build you could be looking at technology which is seven or eight years old whereas the hope is that in in you know when it's fully in our control you know we're dealing with you know brand new technology that's proven that's you know maximum a year or 18 months old so mm-hmm. that's another really good point is we started that at the beginning which is about how to really be make sure that you are at the forefront. And as you said so well, Rebecca, don't look to the left or right, just follow your vision for the project and for your, for your business as well. So that's been a fascinating and enlightening conversation. And I can see why everybody's so proud to, to be involved with the projects that you work on and why you win so many awards for the quality of the design and for your ambition and for, and for the relationships that you build. So uh, thank you so much for that. And uh, Shelley, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Any questions I didn't ask you? Anything else that you feel you'd like to say? Let me just look at my notes. So is that the one the one thing was, I mean, you mentioned about how people don't really understand, people think that they can just use an architect or a, an interior designer. You mentioned that already. I wonder if there was anything else that you'd like to say along those lines or to do with product availability or anything else like that you'd like to say? Or to do with costs or perceived complication or yeah. Rebecca, I don't know. I was thinking about this earlier, but you know, we're quite fortunate in that captive audience that we have as our marketplace. And I don't know whether there's an opportunity for you to talk about mainstream configuration. So, so for example, in, in housing developments, we have this huge agenda in the UK to deliver you know, multi-dwellings now. And I, I, I would guess that not many large scale house builders are talking to you about, you know, could you come and look at our house types you know we're probably very fortunate in our industry because it's kind of restaurants hotels yachts and ultra high net worth but but the you know for not much investment you know like like at my property you know the lighting was so important and i'm I'm so pleased to spend that that short amount of time with you because it's one of the 
one of the things that I really, really enjoy. And I just wondered if you step out of our typical marketplace, what's next? You know, can you, is there kind of modular building that could happen? Is there, do you have that conversation with Urban Splash, for example, or, you know, you know because, because there's, there could be a different scale to what you're looking at at the moment. I don't know if you wanted to touch on that. I, I mean, I think the, the trouble is you hope that there could be a, a different offering to the market. I think if you look at the quality of a lot of the build that goes up at the moment and the time put into the detail of it, then the lining really does become an afterthought. It becomes dots on a page. I mean, the quality is often so poor, but something that you said as well is so often when we're looking at sort of designing from the outset, then we start with natural light. But with so many of these offerings, again, that's, it, it appears so secondary. You know, the quality of natural light in a lot of modern buildings, it, again, is really quite poor. And the understanding of natural light, unfortunately, as well, and how it disperses through skylights and different size windows and the different size and different positions of windows in a building and things like that, again, is so poor. But I do think you're right that lighting, if it's part of the design language, can have enormous benefits and even cost-wise doesn't have to be more expensive. Mm. But I think it takes a brave builder or a brave architect and someone who's willing to take that upfront time to, to deliver it. And I think the bottom line is there's very few people out there like your practice at any level, and even sort of one-on-one private architects. You know, people are quite you know, in a hurry to, to get something delivered, to get the plans drawn, to see if it gets through planning permission, and then perhaps we'll look at the detail of it. Whereas you build up such a big case, even before you've got to plan, or, or whilst planning is going along. So, you know, things run more in tandem. And I think, unfortunately, you just very rarely see that. I think, and it's something our designers ask for a lot. And they say, wouldn't it be great if we all had more design time? Yeah. We really had the space to collaborate and think together, you know, and be together as part of a team and to, to do that sort of brainstorming where we all sit around the table with our pens. And that's when we really start to deliver something a bit more unique and interesting and people sort of open their eyes to the possibilities, but it just happens so rarely is the truth. Yeah. And what, what is the marker that's going to make that difference? I think there are pockets of people who make a difference. And you, if you're really into contemporary architecture, like we are, then it becomes part of the design language and that almost becomes easy. What's more difficult, if you go and look at all the new towns that are popping up around Cotswolds, for example, where they're sort of mirroring traditional build, which means traditional size windows and everything else, without actually necessarily thinking, we don't have to build in that same manner. You wouldn't have to have those size windows anymore. You know, what, what else could we do or how else could we let the light in? You know, but they're putting solar panels on the roof, for example. Fantastic. But actually, there aren't any skylights, you know, over the stairwells or you know, little details like that. So I don't know. It's tricky. I think it's, it's going to take a whole new language. It, it, should be, it should be an easier change than what you're explaining to me, shouldn't it? I think it should. And I'm not sure why it's not to be honest with you. But I think unlike Northern Europe, we also have a very poor history of design. So I think, you know, even if you ask a client sometimes to spend a lot of money on decorative lighting, they're more likely to spend it on a sofa, for example, or fabric than they are on a decorative light traditionally. I mean, that's changing, 
but it's a yeah. very slow story. Over 25 years, it's been a very slow progress of people trying to sort of start to realize that a decorative light is really like a piece of art. It's, you know, it's a central element. It should have a little bit extra spent on it. So it's, I think we're progressing slowly, but it would, not, it would be great to see that big leap forward by the design community. But more importantly, maybe not the design community, the build community or, or the investors. Yeah, I, I certainly have seen from our own delivery team as well, the, the wide scale of challenge that they have on, on feature lighting. And when you, when you invest in a, you know, a kind of branded or extremely well configured product, the installation time is rapidly reduced. And all the service and the drivers and the wiring is just mm -hmm. consistent. And you know, I think I think that you know, that that's a hidden cost that nobody really appreciates until you you're operating in a delivery team. Yeah, I think we've got extremes because on the one end, and unfortunately, it comes back to cost as well. We have a lot of hotels and restaurants where they do a lot of bespoke products, and they're really investing in things, and it's fantastic because we're able to deliver something very unique. And then you've got the broader market where there is a lot of great product available at a very good price now, I have to say, but it's just knowing what to do with it. And that's where design doesn't have to be expensive. If you, you spend a little bit of money thinking about what you need and where you need it, you can still utilize less expensive products and get a really fantastic result. So, yeah. And I think something Ian that was spoke about with his house was the controls element as well. If you can control your space easily, then actually at you know, the press of a button, you can seamlessly go from day to night and it can look beautiful, just, you know, ducks, it's, it's instant. And the satisfaction that comes from that is unquantifiable really. I think, I think it's fair to say the, the investment in control at my house was more, was more important than the actual product, mm -hmm. the actual lighting product itself. And it's, it's, it's always a balance, but I do, I do really find the kind of scene set the opportunity to scene set and have some familiarity when you're dining or when you're kind of relaxing and watching telly or when I'm reading. I think I think just having that kind of like single, you know, single button where you get a consistent balance, which you know is tailored to, you know, your your own personal preferences, was really very nice. And to include that with blind control as well was 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 you know was super super for me personally so i think that goes back to the problem again though, that if you haven't experienced it yeah and it's sometimes quite di difficult to deliver what the benefits of that experience are because if people will say oh i can so easily go around and close the curtains or how difficult is it to touch four demo buttons but it, it's it's more than that it's more than the sum of the parts it's about ease of use and functionality and making sure you use what you have so but yeah i think so many of these different elements until you've experienced it and that's where you know, so many of the higher end clients have because of their exposure to that market but when we're looking at the, the less expensive elements of the market they have less exposure and so the demand becomes lower even for adaptability we spoke about that kind of lifespan of the the, the product we were now even if a client saying to us look we'd really like simple switching we're 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 actually wiring for control utilizing simple switching because broadly we would know that at some point it would be nice to future proof and if that even if the property changed hands you know your infrastructure is there if the client's brief changes and certain rooms have to ha have to adapt we, we have the infrastructure and cabling 
with enough with enough circuits and enough you know kind of base base control for us to be able to upgrade that in the future yeah it's very cheap to put a cable in <laughs> yeah and do you see estate agents the savils of this world sort of understanding that proposition in the same way that they would say you've got this brand of kitchen or this brand of jacuzzi or, or whatever it is would you say that the estate agents understand that as an added value I think I think there's there's a there's a fear in the marketplace that integrated houses where you move towards more of a BMS solution with full automation become problematic because there's more items to, to fall over. There's more items to maintain. There's more chance of, of you know a small problem becoming a larger one or. As, as you see in that that environment, a lot of younger companies that that don't fully hand over an open source code and you, you know you can't get somebody else to reprogram them and compatibility issues. But I think that I think that you know we've gone back to much more of a kind of separate systems, you know, very very modest in terms of its integration, but but you still get that level of sophistication. So I think that halfway house of not having a not having a fully integrated solution, but having having kind of core parameters, which for us are lighting the blinds on a single controller. We we kind of integrate AC and underfloor heating, but then we we hide that all in the plant room because we think once that's set, that's a kind of ambient thing that a client becomes familiar with. It's not like a hotel room where you just up and down as soon as you enter so so i think there's i think from a from a value perspective for 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 agents if they understand that there's a very good brand and it's been you know it's been installed and there's also you know there's a there's a creative person that should they dispose of the property can come in and reprogram specific to a client's needs i think i think that's adds a lot of value yes I think, I think, but I do, on the other hand, I do think there's this perception that full BMS and integration, you know, can be problematic. I think in the past as well, it has been problematic. Yeah. You know, there's no, absolutely no doubt about that. But I think with the move towards everyone being able to reprogram things on their mobile phones, it's made life so much easier. And that, you know, again, allowing people much better individual control of their space. So I think the technology has pushed the whole thing forward. Uh, quite aggressively in the last sort of 24 months. And I think that's made a major change. And I suppose, what was I going to say? Yeah. Oh, uh, it was interesting what you were saying about the mass, about the sort of the urban splashes and those sorts of things. And what do you think it's going to take for them to understand for, for, for what you're doing there, the, the quality of, support and light that you're creating for these very high-end clients what's it what's it going to take for that to move down even one layer to high-end but not bespoke residential would you say that it's an uh, I, mentioned, I mentioned that team specifically because they're, they're they're thought leaders in that more 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 mass market environment and i don't think it would take much to encourage them to to you know, speculate some time and energy and, and then realize a you know really nice shift change in terms of the in terms of the product. I think if you're if you're dealing with a with a more mass house builder, I think that's a you know a, a door that's potentially closed at the moment would but would need pushing. But through 
through maybe like a you know a demo a demo type kind of setup or a BRE maybe could you know could contact them to have a look at you know what the opportunity is. I just I just I just think that it's a real shame that you know there's not this other huge opportunity beyond our very slim marketplace. That's part of what this this interview is about actually is yeah. just helping other people to understand the benefits and that it's not difficult and it's not any it's not expensive it's certainly not more expensive than doing it badly so that's what this conversation is about is helping people to understand the value and how they can do something about it themselves so thank you very much indeed that was really fascinating i learned so much thank you again no problem thank you, thank you.